You're listening to a CFCC audio podcast. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. We are so glad that you are here this morning. We're so glad that we get to worship our King with you. If you have not had time to look at our bulletin, it's worth your time to spend some time going through it later. There's a lot of good activities coming up. We wanted to highlight a couple of them. The first one is happening next Saturday at noon. Uh, We are having our second annual crawfish boil. It's hosted by the men's ministry. It costs $10 to go to. You can pay at the information desk after the service. You can log into the app and pay through the app. You can go to the church website. Um, and, And besides some amazing crawfish... We also are going to be treated to uh, listening to uh, Roy Nell Jones. And, and he was an all-pro cornerback for the Philadelphia Eagles, which is cool in and of itself. But the most amazing part about Roy Nell is what he has done since he left the NFL. Uh, he has his ProVision Academy, which is doing amazing things for youth and for the kingdom of God. And he's going to be here sharing some of his story with you. So we hope to see you at this. Um, we also have a lot of information about upcoming opportunities for our students in here. You'll see the backpacking trip that happens in July. But you'll also see something about City Serve Mission. City Serve Mission is fantastic because it shows the students in our church that they don't have to leave the state or the country to serve God's people, that there's opportunities right here in Houston, Texas, where they can serve God and they can serve God's people. And it shows them every day an organization they can connect with. And then at night, they spend time focusing on different uh, cultural and ethnic groups located in Houston so that they can better understand the needs of those groups and they can direct their prayer. It is a fantastic opportunity. I highly recommend it. If you're interested in going, there's limited spots. We only have so many spots that we can take kids on. If you want to go, $100 will reserve your deposit for that. So we hope you research that a little bit more. So I just had this idea in the last couple of seconds, I'm going to tell you about something that amazed me, will amaze us all actually. But you know the Hubble telescope? You probably never laid your hands on it. I was listening to something about it the other day. Right? No atmosphere in space, fantastic images. And they've been using it to look here and there at particular parts of the universe. No, the galaxy, and look at other galaxies, and not wanting to go on about, I'm not a scientist, but not wanting to go on about or try and dial us into the fact that we're talking about big distances. There was a scientist that said, hey, there's a particular piece of darkness out in the heavens that I think it would be worth looking at, because by now there's been a number thrown out there for how many galaxies there are. And about how many stars there are in there, and about how many planets there might be, and all this and that. And uh, he convinced a bunch of people to look at that, and they turned the telescope to look at this part of the heavens that they thought there would be nothing. They genuinely thought there would be nothing. And it took days and days of exposure by the Hubble, just looking into this piece of blackness, and there wasn't nothing. There were thousands more galaxies. Okay, trying, you know, great. I love to think about that stuff and it excites me. 
But I'm probably never going to get a shot at going out there and taking a look and sitting down and having a meal on one of those exotic spots that's out there. Um, but in the middle of all that, God has given me a place in that. Isn't that exciting? He gives me the right to be a part of that. That is just phenomenal. So it is especially exciting as a Christian when I think about that. That's just awesome. And here we are at church again. In our part of the, what's the biggest thing? It's not the galaxy. That's a tiny piece of the whole puzzle, right? The universe, is it? That's the biggest thing. We, do we have a name for it? We'll probably need another one in a few years with a name. But here we are at church, uh, wondering about where we fit in the middle of all that. Um, so just coming down, feet on the ground. Who are we as Cypher Christian Church? We confess the Bible as the final word in all matters of life and faith for the glory of God. Boom, right there. We are applying the teachings of the Bible in all areas of our lives. We are, think of us, uh, you know, some of these you might go, mm, well, maybe I'm not doing that as much as I would like. We're a body of Christians supporting and guiding and being accountable to each other. We are celebrating the gospel of Jesus through the Lord's Supper and Baptism. We are praying for the health of the church at Cypher Christian Church, her leaders and her gospel mission. We confess that our time, talent and treasures in this life are gifts from God to be cultivated and used in partnership with other believers for God's glory. It comes back to God's glory, right? We're not doing it for ourselves. We are growing as cheerful givers in our finances. We are growing as cheerful givers in our talents and we are growing as cheerful givers in our time. At SciFair, we are actively engaged in the body of Christ with the gifts that God has given us. We are connecting to others in small groups so as to encourage and be encouraged in every season of our life. We are welcoming outsiders, guests, and newcomers to the church with hospitality and graciousness. We are sharing the gospel with those who are not yet disciples of Christ. If there's some of that which you feel really strong about, that you're implementing daily, praise God. It's for God's glory. If there's some of that that you feel... "Mm, I like that, that's true. What he just said is true. And that's, this, I didn't write this. This is um, part of the membership commitment. But I, I would like to do more of that or I would like to know that I'm aligned better with that. Then that's what we do as a body of believers. We encourage each other so, and be a part of that. Find ways to be a part of that. I need that and you need that. Let's pray. So Lord Jesus is just humbled that we were blessed to hear and be a part of it. It is such a beautiful thing to be in corporate worship and praise, Father. It is such an encouragement. I would not want to do that alone. But beyond that, Father, you are the great encourager. We recognize that and we lift our hearts and we praise your name in this house, Father. We ask for your continued blessing. We ask for your continued protection of this church and everybody in it. Newcomers, 
be welcomed, be encouraged, be steered to Christ. And we continue to ask for your blessings and your encouragement as we go on into, throughout this service and as we step out beyond this building. There is a lot going on, Father. We need your Holy Spirit to be in every part of it. And we praise your name, Jesus. We rejoice in the name of Jesus and we thank you, Father. Amen. Over the last weeks, we've witnessed Jesus um, draw near to people and Jesus draw near to people to the point that he sat down at a table with them and shared a meal with them. And we're going to see that again today. Early on, we saw Jesus draw near to those men who were experiencing disappointment on the path to Emmaus and he sat down with them and their eyes were open to the truth that even though it looked like all hope was lost, um, that all hope was not lost and that the Messiah had indeed come. Last week we saw Peter who had failed miserably Uh, We saw him fully reinstated, fully restored by Jesus, a place I'd love to have a meal, right, on a beach. Uh, That would be kind of nice this morning, I think, out on a beach having a meal with people you love. And Peter, fully restored, fully transformed, we see him, a different man in the book of Acts. Um, Today... Um, We're going to see Jesus criticized uh, for the people um, he shared a meal with. You know, you share meals sometimes with strangers. You share meals for other reasons than just sitting down with friends. But my favorite time to share a meal is with friends. But the truth of the matter, most of the people who claimed to be close to God um, was disgusted by the people Jesus was sharing a meal with. I don't know if you've seen any recent studies, but there is a list of least trusted um, vocations. And, and we could take a poll and, and you could guess some of them, but I'll just go down the list. Um, car salespersons. If you hold any of these jobs, some of you do because I know you, um, just chill. I'm not saying this about you, right? Car salespersons, politicians, number two, advertisers, number three, stockbrokers, number four. This one was kind of uh, indicative of where we find ourselves. HMO managers, right? Insurance salespersons, lawyers. Now this one's strange. State governors, they made the list. You know, there have been times, quite honestly, when preachers, pastors were on this list. They're not on any current list, but um, because of um, affairs and embezzlement of church funds, pastors at times have been some of the least trusted people in society. Isn't that sad? It's very Very sad. If we could take ourselves back 
to Jesus' day and time, there would be one group of people in particular who were the least trusted people of society. You see, Rome um, would allow locals to collect taxes. In fact, that was their system. And so there would be goods passing through various territories and this group of individuals would tax these goods, this trade, and they would send the proceeds to Rome. But they had an incredible perk they could charge whatever they wanted to over the tax Rome required. They would engage in extortion often to become rich. And we see more than one tax collector in the New Testament who is rich. They were considered liars. They were considered cheats. They were considered traitors to their own people. The tax collector today, uh, we will see him in two different gospels, same per- three different gospels, same person, Matthew, Levi. So he's, obvi- he's Jewish, and yet he had betrayed his own people. The argument is not whether there's confusion about tax collectors. There is no confusion about them. No confusion. Let's look at the story in front of us. Luke 5, verses 27 through 32. Luke 5, verse 27 through 32. If, if you're a guest today or, or even if you're a regular tender and, and um, you don't have a Bible or maybe you don't have this particular version, the English Standard Version, take a Bible out of the pew and, and um, bring it home with you. We would love for you to have it and um, just uh, our gift to you. Jesus has been very busy Um, He has called out his disciples. He has taught from some fishing boats in another gospel. And he's healed in this chapter a leopard, a a leopard. He has healed a leper and um, he has also healed a paralytic. And then Luke says, after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he, Levi, rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's very simple. You, you, cannot, 
You cannot whitewash what's happening today. You can use different words for what sin is, and yet you still can't whitewash the fact that sin is real in our world and sin's real in our lives, right? And it's good news, it's incredible news that in this story, we see Jesus drawing near sinners. He draws near sinners, it's incredible news. It is good news. It's news that all of us need to hear again and again. Jesus is not running away from you in your sin, in your rebellion. He's running to you. He comes to you with outstretched arms. He comes to you, you who are far from God. I've been far from God before I came to know Christ and since I've come to know Christ. Did you hear that? See, it's not like we're just far from God prior to knowing Christ and then we're never, ever far from God again. No, we can become far from God. We can get callous. God can be guiding us in a direction and we simply say no. It's hard to continue in the right direction when you've taken a detour, right? We choose our ways. We think we know more. We'd never say, God, I know more than you, but our actions say we think we know more than God because we choose our way over his way. But you know what? Jesus is your friend. Jesus longs to be the friend of people who are far from him, who've turned their back on him, who are living opposite to what he values in life. Did you hear that? Jesus is drawing near to people who live their lives opposite to what God values. Case in point, tax collectors. They were cheats. They were thieves. The Talmud uh, um, calls them thieves. I mean, it defines them. This is what this group of people were. They were considered unclean. If the Pharisees had this meal with these people, they would be religiously unclean and could not participate in temple worship. So there's no question whether the tax collectors were sinners, they were. Jesus draws near to them. Listen to this passage. Luke 7, verse 33 and 34. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread. The, the Pharisees are criticizing Jesus again. And he's simply making a contrast. He says, you're never happy. It doesn't matter who it is. You criticize them. If it's not you, you have criticism, right? You look down your nose at everyone else, whether they're on the left or the right. He says, for John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon, the son of man has come eating and drinking and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend, 
A what? Say the word with me. Friend. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, guys, this is a descriptive word flowing from the Pharisee's mouth, but Jesus is demonstrating his desire to have a relationship, one, by calling Luke to follow him, and two, by having dinner with a whole group of tax collectors. By the way, who are at this great feast? I just want to keep you awake today. Who? It's because no one else wanted to be with them. Right? Birds of a feather flock together. I'm telling you they were considered extortionists, traitors, cheats, thieves. No one wanted to be with them. Luke's friends were tax collectors. He invited, he threw a feast for Jesus. He leaves his booth. My dad, um, just after World War II, uh, he worked for the railroad. He went to railroad school. And one day they put him in the ticket booth. No training. That's not what his job was supposed to be with the railroad. But they put him in a ticket booth. And his cousin came to him. He was in another state. I'll not tell you where. I don't want to belittle you if you're from that state. And um, he was from this state and, and he was in this ticket booth and he looked around and the line got longer and longer and longer for tickets. And he just draws the curtain and leaves. <laughs> and goes with his first cousin to Texas. Hallelujah, right? I'm a Texan. I doubt the railroad would have taken him back. What do you think? When Luke walked away from his tax booth, it was a huge statement. I'm telling you, he was the wealthiest of all the disciples. I can pretty much guarantee that. He left tax collecting to follow Jesus. He couldn't go back. There was no going back. For some people, there's no going back when you choose to follow Jesus because the contrast in your life prior to following Jesus and after following Jesus is so drastically different. And that was the case for Luke. You see, if the fishermen, if this thing with Jesus hadn't worked out, they could have gone back to fishing. No one was going to stand at the shore and say, you cannot fish anymore. But I guarantee he would never collect taxes again. So Jesus is taking part in this feast. We really shouldn't be surprised. Luke 19, 10, for the son of man came to seek and to Save those who are lost. Seek. There is terminology that I get it, I understand it, I was part of this movement, but it was seeker-friendly churches, right? 
Well, it's a little misleading because it puts the emphasis on the people seeking God when all along the truth is people often in our world and in our churches, they're not seeking God. God is seeking them. God was seeking you long before you had any inkling about him. Long before you knew good news, God was seeking you And Luke experiences that and Luke's life is forever changed. That leads to kind of a no-brainer point. Sin is a fact of life. Sin is a fact of life. We can look around our city, our state, our country, our world, sin's a fact of life. In fact, if we're honest, we just look in the mirror. Sin's a fact of life. Jeremiah says these words that at times I, I kind of struggle with them. The heart is what? Deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it Jesus said I've come for the sick I'm a doctor I have patients patients who are sick I found out recently I've had low blood pressure and a very low heart rate and the doctors would always ask me, are you feeling all right? Because my blood pressure was so low. It's not high now, but I found out that my cholesterol is getting high, right? I've not been to a doctor in over 10 years. That's right. I had a physical. No, 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 seven years. I had a physical at 50, right? So around that. I didn't expect to hear I have high cholesterol, So I'm taking action. I'm listening to my doctor. The heart is deceitful above all things. And how sick? Desperately sick. During World War II, you know, there have always been traitors and always been... um, injustice in the world. And during World War II, there was a a group of people in Poland, the Judenhut, the Jewish police. They exercised their authority. It really, it just kind of, if you read about it, it just break your heart. They exercised their authority in Jewish ghettos. The Warsaw Ghetto was one of the largest ghettos and there were over 2,500 Jewish policemen in this ghetto. They were called Jewish policemen, but they weren't for the Germans. And so they would confiscate food from people in the ghettos. They had control over the bakeries and the bakery employees. 
They would barter bread for sexual favors. Is that bad enough for you? If you want to eat, then here's what you're going to do. Would we call that evil? Would we call it sin? Would we call them traitors? It's interesting to me that the Pharisees, the most religious, could only see someone else's sin, but they could not see their own. Jesus said, you're a brood of snakes. That's what he told the Pharisees. And yet they acted like they were perfect. They only saw others' sins. I could go through a list of sins that would stir us to anger most likely. Again, if we have a heart, I think it, it, it just, it disgusts us. But I wonder how disgusted are we with our own sin? Because all of us, see sin is a part of life, Right? All of us sin. In fact, that's what the the Bible says. All, like all we like sheep have gone astray, right? All. Each of us has turned to his own way, everyone to his own way. Double emphasis in this translation. My favorite definition for sin because I'm not afraid to say sin, but it's disarming. You say the word sin and a lot of people just, don't tell me about my sin. But I love to talk about choosing our way over God's way. That's what this verse is talking about, right? All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. Romans 3.23, a verse a lot of you know, well, all have, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter how you were raised, how moral you are, it really doesn't. We all, all have sinned. When it says that Jesus is this physician who's come for the sick, not for the well, for the sinner, not for the righteous, please, please hear me. He wasn't complimenting the Pharisees. They were self-righteous. They were not right with God. They were far from God. And he says it on many occasions. 1 John 1, 8 through 10 is an incredible verse. I'm going to read it, but I want to tell you a little story. Read an article Friday. Um, The new edition of Christianity Today came out and and, um, Kevin and I, in fact, all of us, Kevin, Travis, and I, um, Jeff, Um, we read a lot about small groups, life groups. We believe in life on life transformation. We believe that's happened uh, historically going all the way back to the book of Acts. Uh, You might go 
all the way back um, to the synagogue worship, but there's interaction, people interaction. And so it contrasted this article AA with small groups in churches. Very interesting contrast. So what you find in AA, and, and quite honestly, what they were saying, what they were contending um, was really small groups in our churches would benefit from some of the things that exist in 12-step groups. And one of the things is that uh, if people came to life groups in desperation, it would actually benefit the people there. Uh, don't come with your mask on. Don't come looking as good as you can. But come, my name is Dale. I am a sinner. My name is Dale. I've chosen my way over God's way this week. My, way, my name is Dale. I think I'm smarter than God. Right? I'm not an alcoholic, but I am desperately in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Desperately in need. And yet, if I'm not careful, I will not confess my need. Not to God and not to you. I don't have time for it. If you have access to that article, I encourage you to read it. There were several things to be considered, but desperation and brutal honesty were two. Of course, I go back to that saying, you can't handle the truth. Uh, I think we're afraid that if we're really honest about life, about doubts, about struggles, about failures, maybe we might be rejected, Right? Did Jesus reject the tax collectors that he's encountering? No, he didn't. He didn't. But he didn't leave them without a challenge. He didn't leave them without Luke in particular, without a, I'm sorry, Matthew, Levi in particular, without a challenge to life change. 1 John 1, 8 through 10. This was a favorite verse of mine in high school in particular. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Cleansing, washing, not dirty, not stained, cleansed from all unrighteousness. And John pushes the issue. If we say we have not Sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. I don't think any of us are bold enough to call God a liar. Don't be deceived. 
Sin is a real part of life. And all of us are in desperate need of the gospel. And so that, that leads to the gospel transforms. The gospel transforms our rebellion to surrender. That's what's happening with Luke. God's calling him out. He's calling him out from a way of life that was contrary to God's way of life for him. And he surrendered. He can't go back. He's calling all of us out. Follow me. Follow me. The path I'm calling you to is richer. It's fuller. It's more meaningful. In the end, it's more fruitful than any life you would choose. I've met many people in my lifetime, friends in my lifetime, who've made it to the top of their vocational ladder only to be unfulfilled when they get to the top. You see, there's more to life than making it to the top. There's more to life than having millions. There's more to life than power, prestige. Knowing that you're walking with God brings incredible fulfillment. Luke 15. Luke 15. One, one more passage. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. Guys, we're in chapter 15 now. So if you think I'm just making this, this big emphasis on Jesus being a friend of tax collectors and sinners and drawing near to them, not only did, you know, people who recognize the fact that you like them, they tend to draw near to you. People are intuitive. They kind of know if we are judging them or if we want a real relationship with them. Did you hear me? Sin rocket science. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. They wanted to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. They still have a hang up, right? He eats with them. So Jesus told them the parable, this parable, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99, we sang about that earlier, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, probably another meal. Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no Repentance. 
rejoicing in heaven, guys. What is repentance? It's a change of thinking that results in action. God opens our eyes to where we're choosing our way over his way. He is opening our eyes to that which we no longer see is what life is all about, like Luke realized. I keep calling him Luke, Levi. And we change the course we're going in. Repentance. You see, Jesus doesn't just call us to affirm a principle. He calls us to go in a different direction with our life. And I want to put this qualifier in there because I'm not speaking judgment. I'm speaking truth to you to the best of our ability. I always tell people, I've met so many people, you know, I'm just not ready to follow Jesus now. I'm not ready. My life's a mess. When I get everything straightened out, I'll follow him. No, you won't. I've never seen it happen. If you sense Jesus drawing near to you and stirring you, you sense him drawing you. Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for drawing near to me. Thank you for wanting a relationship with me to the best of my ability. I'm going to follow you with everything I've got. God sees the heart. God sees the heart. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. It's a big, big shift. You have this or you have that. The thief keeps us headed in the wrong direction, thinking that we're headed to the place where we're going to find life and we don't, steal, kill, and destroy but I've come that they might have life. God says, come, come, let us reason. I'm telling you, the mind is involved in a commitment to follow Jesus. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. First John again, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You say, Dale, sin, sin, sin. I'm sick of hearing about sin. I'm not because I'm a sinner in need of Jesus. And I'm thankful he meets me in my sin and forgives me of my sin. And so we come to the table of grace. I'm going to ask those serving communion today to come forward at this time. As we come to the table of grace, we're not thinking sin, sin, sin. We don't come in guilt. 
we come cleansed. In fact, Paul says, confess your sins, prepare your hearts for this meal as we celebrate the price that was paid. We don't partake, we don't dip the bread in the cup representing the blood of, we don't do that lightly, just going through the motions. We're thankful. We're thankful that we've been called into relationship with God. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the incredible sacrifice Jesus made, you made, you our Lord, our Savior, our King. And we celebrate that sacrifice right now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Won't you come? Again after again, again and again and again, we've seen Jesus speak to people and call them into relationship. Revelation 3.20, it's our theme verse, key verse for this series. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Just knocking, knocking, knocking. You hear that knock? on your heart's door. I remember the first time I heard that knock, I had never heard the gospel until a few months before I heard that first knock. Most incredible news I'd ever heard that God wanted a relationship with me and he had provided a way for me to have a relationship with him. It calls for a response. It calls for an embrace, just like we see in Luke's life. You know, if you sense God drawing near to you, I encourage you to draw near to him. He longs for you too. I wonder if you're a follower of Jesus, who are you drawing near who's far from God? We're the body of Christ. Christ no longer walks on this earth. He walks on this earth through his body. Who are you drawing near? You know, I remember people over the course of my life that God gave me incredible privilege to draw near. I remember the first hot wings I ate. A dinner, a meal. Northern Virginia, a friend who worked in the Pentagon, Joe, he's from Brooklyn, and he pulled out, uh, we, we melted butter and he poured Frank's wing sauce in it. And we chowed down on wings. And as we over months developed a friendship, for the first time in his life, he heard the gospel of Christ. And it made sense to him. Recently, a a neighbor built a pizza oven and greatest privilege when your neighbor invites you to dinner or lunch, you better take him up on it, right? This is on pizza oven in his backyard. He's very far from God, but he honors me by getting to eat dinner with him and with his family. 
I'm not judging him. He would tell you he's far from God. Luke would have told you he was far from God. In fact, he probably thought God wanted nothing to do with him. And Jesus showed him God. I hope that you might pray with a prayer partner or pray right where you are for that person you're going to draw near or maybe right now, today's the day you say, you know, I'm tired of waiting. I want to step out and move and follow Jesus clearly, definitively. I've made a mess of my life. I'm ready to go in a different direction. Let's stand, let's worship, let's acknowledge God's great love. Church, I just want to, I just want to encourage you to to go out and to remember how much you are loved by God, so that you can relay that to other people, so that someone that doesn't know God can see God through you, and the only way that's going to happen is if, if you know God's love and if you are walking closely and intimately with Him. And so I just pray that as a church, we go out and we show what God's love looks like through our lives, that we are empty vessels that He just flows through. Y'all have a great Sunday. <laughs>